1: hello and welcome in once again to the qb11 show i am doug scott joined of course as always by qb11 himself andrew good evening good evening doug how are you doing tonight i guess technically it is now 1201 a.m so it's morning now (laughs) so good morning
0: see like hot off the press whenever this goes out um it being recorded on friday and released on friday that works good yeah it's perfect uh so it is
1: friday october 14th we uh, obviously the Oregon Ducks are on a bye this week, so we don't have to preview the Ducks game. We will be previewing the the next game against UCLA Bruins a week from now. So listen for that, and of course we will be here this Sunday for our normal kind of recap show, where we will recap the games around the Pac-12 and the nation, and as, as well as some extra kind of bye week bonus content. So today's like mini episode. We're going to try to keep this to about thirty minutes for all your all of you and we're going to cover kind of some mid-season Pac-12 stuff um, as well as uh, make our picks for Pac-12 and national games for, for, for the games coming up this weekend. So I thought why don't we jump right in there QB and talk a little bit about like the, Pac se- the Pac-12 season so far and, and maybe some of the players and teams and surprises and disappointments that we've We've noticed this year maybe set the table a little bit for the second half of the season. What say you?
0: Yeah, sounds like a good plan.
1: All right. Um, let's start with, this is an interesting one to me. So, you you know, at the end of the year, they give out, you know, players of the year and coaches of the year and all that stuff. And obviously, you know, all conference teams. I don't want to go too deep into the weeds on 22 positions, but uh, let's talk about coaches of the year first. And I think this is a really interesting one. You know, typically when you see a coach of the year, award in in sports and particularly in the Pac twelve, you know, over the last several years, it, it tends to either go to a coach of a team that was highly successful, uh, whether they were expected to be or not, or more often than not, it seems to go to a coach who's kind of has the plucky team that comes from nowhere and nobody was expecting them to do much and they overachieve and win eight or nine games and everyone's, you know, loving on that guy. So to me, it feels like there's some candidates this year that probably fill both of those in one.
0: Yeah, it's like when when you initially sent me the agenda for tonight and I was looking at the coach of the year, Like the, the obvious one that came to mind first was Chip Kelly. Um, UCLA is 6-0. They've had two pretty big wins back-to-back. Um, and in a lot of ways, the Washington win probably isn't as good now as it was at the time, but the Utah win, I think, is still a quality win against a good team um and and again they're six and oh and i don't know that anyone was predicting them to be like a front runner to win the conference and six weeks into the season like in terms of what they've accomplished and how it will affect the final conference standings beating utah um early i think is is a big feather in their cap and i think that chip's done a really really good job with them um kind of getting the most out of dtr and the offense despite some big pretty big losses from a year ago. Doing a good job in the transfer portal to fill some needs and make themselves a little bit more plucky defensively. Uh, the other guy, and I don't, I don't think he, his resume is nearly as strong as Chips, but I think Jake Dickert um, at least deserves a shout out here because I don't know that anyone had crazy high expectations for for Washington State coming into this year. And frankly, after watching six games of Cameron Ward, like I don't think Cameron Ward's particularly good, but their defense is the highest rated defense in the Pac-12 currently. He's got those guys playing at a really high level. Um, and I think that Washington State's been a tough out for everybody they've played this year. So I uh, want to give him a shout-out as well, although I'm pretty sure that Chip Kelly's kind of alone on the podium in my book. What do you think, Doug?
1: Yeah, I mean, those are two—I it, it, I could think of five or six guys that you could see a scenario for them winning, depending on how the second half of the season plays out. Those are certainly two— I think the two newcomers who are also front runners for the Pac-12 title, Dan Lanning of Oregon, and and more likely Lincoln Riley of USC, um, you know, also have to be considered on that list. Um, I think I think Dan's probably a very long shot. You know, Oregon has the highest talent index in the conference. Everyone they won ten games last year. They were in the conference title game last year, so you know, them repeating at that level is not going to resonate probably with the people that picked this award. But Lincoln, well, you know, with his team being four and eight last year and, and looking like they're going to cruise to a 10 plus win season, certainly could be in that conversation with with Dickert and Chip Kelly. And then I'll throw one more name out there, which I think is probably fading now, but maybe looked a little better a couple of weeks ago, which is, of course, another new coach, Kalen DeBoer of Washington. Um, you know, seemed like he he was an early front runner for that, but I think that that's probably dropping off pretty quickly now.
0: Yeah, I mean, my my main arguments against those is like through six games, Dan Lanning does have a forty nine to three loss. Um, given it was the opener, there's a lot of context there that could be used to excuse the performance in some sense. But um, I think that if we're just evaluating these coaches based on the six game sample set, that's a disqualifying one. And I, and I think that like the USC offense. For all of its billing and for all of the hype, has not performed at an extraordinarily high level. Like through six weeks, they're at 25th in S and P Plus offensively. Um, and to me, that's just not good enough. Given given how weak USC's resume and the teams that they played are, um, and and some of the performances that they did like, had like the 17 to 14 win against Oregon State. Just if that's if that's the strongest team you've played, and that's your strongest win in resume building win so far um, that performance isn't going to cut it for me in terms of my, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So I think, I think those are probably the four and I think you're right. I think it's probably, you know, Kelly's sitting in the pole position right now. Dicker's probably, you know, right behind him. If, if people want to go for kind of the more plucky, plucky upstart kind of candidate. And I think Riley's probably a distant third right now and, and Lanning, Lanning and, and, uh, DeBoer are, are quite a bit further back than that. So that's how I'd handicap it right now, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the course of the
0: the rest of the season, of course. Yeah, I mean, this weekend for USC could have a lot of consequences for, for Lincoln Riley in that race. Um, and then I think Oregon and Dan Lanning with the UCLA and Utah games coming up and kind of the finish to the season that they have, um, they, he can kind of control his own destiny too in some sense in regards to that, to that award. So um, halfway through, chip chip sitting up top alone, but that could change very quickly.
1: Yeah. Let's move on, uh, offensive player, offensive player of the year, uh, you know, and obviously the, the PAC 12 is back to being an offensive conference this year, <laughs> we were talking about that. We've talked about this a lot, right? I think there's. Four of, like, all four of the top teams in the Pac-12, and then if you add Washington as a fifth, are all, you know, top 15, top 20 level offenses in the country, you know, by almost all the advanced, you know, statistical models and metrics and systems that are out there. Um, Conversely, I think Washington State has the only defense in the conference in the top 25, and they're barely in the top 25, so it's definitely an offensive-minded conference. I think... I I have four candidates right off the top of my head I can think of that are in the running for the offensive player of the year, three quarterbacks and a running back. Um, But before I name those, I'll I'll let you throw out your names, and uh, we'll see if we match.
0: Yeah, and I I think this kind of goes with Coach of the Year, but at this point, it would have to be DTR. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback for UCLA. I I think he's by far has the strongest resume, Um, but in terms of other quarterbacks, I think that both Bo Nix and Michael Penix, deserve to be mentioned in the running. Um and I I think that I could see Bo Nix making a run at Robinson, especially if Oregon ends up beating UCLA. But so far through six games, I mean, especially when you consider how how much I think I I would say that like comparatively Dorian Thompson Robinson is a lot more important to the UCLA offense success than Bo Nix is to Oregon. So I don't mean to downplay or minimize what Bo Nix has done this year. Um, Having 20 total touchdowns through six games is really impressive, um, especially when you didn't score any in the first game. So really five games. Uh, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the straw that stirs the drink for the UCLA offense. They're, while they, they can run the ball, and Zach Charbonnet has been really impressive through this point in the season, um, it, it seems very evident to me that if, if they lost DTR, they go from being a conference title contender to mean, kind of a mid-level program so uh yeah that's my that's kind of my take on this one
1: yeah I, I threw out a poll on our on our twitter feed and you know so that's at qb11 show on twitter for those of you who want to follow it i threw out a poll a couple of days ago and it was listing you know the top four quarterbacks in the conference and asking people like hey which one's the best and i didn't put names next to them intentionally obviously it's not too hard to figure out if somebody wants to look up the stats but when I compiled that what stuck out to me was DTR even stat wise is clearly the best performance quarterback of the first half of the season his completion percentage was was the highest his yards per attempt were like a full yard higher than the other the other guys on the list you know which would be you know Nick's, Penix, and Caleb Williams and um you know, touchdown interception ratios out there. He's second behind Knicks as far as rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. So, uh, you know, he's the clear head and shoulders 6-0 and team. You know, if we want to talk about non-quarterbacks, again, I think it's going to be a quarter. Unless something drastically changes, you know, the second half of the season, I think a quarterback's going to win this award. But but in the case that it doesn't, it would be Zach Charbonnet, um, you know, for UCLA, the running back. He's just running away with – with all the running back uh, statistical leads uh, at this conference and deservedly. So, so he'd be the other candidate, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I just, I, I think it's going to be a quarterback that wins the award this year. I just think that with how prolific some of these offenses are and the numbers that it's allowing some of these quarterbacks to put up when, by the time we get to the end of the season, it's going to be a quarterback.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, if you look at between Nick's, Penix, DTR, Caleb Williams and and maybe even Cameron Rising, if you throw him in there, like all of these guys are on pace to be well over thirty total touchdowns, and and I think three of them are on pace to be over forty total touchdowns. That's an insane number, uh, you know, for any quarterback in any year, and to have three or four of those in a single year in a single conference is is pretty startling. I mean, and it's such a de- it's such a departure from where this conference has been at the quarterback position over the, you know, really since Justin Herbert left. Right. And, or, you know, and, and there was a couple other guys that back then too, like the last couple of seasons, the quarterback play in the PAC 12 has been probably the worst in the history of the conference, at least in the modern era of football. And, and it's such a, it's such a, you know, an eye opener to see like, Hey, this is what like PAC 12 quarterback play was for 40 years. And it's back.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look back over the history, like the last 10 years even, like it's just been such a quarterback-rich conference. Like I can think of a, a pretty big handful, two handfuls of, of first-round draft picks at the position from a wide range of schools. Um, and so it's good to see the position becoming a strong point again for the conference, and hopefully that's something that can continue into the future.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's move on to defensive player of the year. This one's a little tougher. You know, I think obviously we're evaluating defensive players that, you know, you don't have the the statistical things that are necessarily so easy to look at and jump out. And a lot of times it's more around, you know, evaluating their impact on the game when we're in there. But I do think there's a couple of standout candidates that that deserve mentioning. Um, so who do you like for for kind of early front runner halfway through the season for defensive player of the year in the conference?
0: Yeah, so at this point, I think Clark Phillips has to be number one with a bullet. Um, he's been utterly dominant. I think he's got two pick sixes the last two weeks, just since conference play started. Um, I think he's got four interceptions in total the last two weeks. He had a three interception game. Like He's just been...
1: Thank you, Oregon State for that.
0: Yeah, or, Oregon State produces a lot of interceptions, so um, maybe, maybe we just need to wait until everybody plays Oregon State before we anoint anybody, but Going into the season, I was really, really high on Clark Phillips. I thought he was one of the more talented defensive backs uh, the Pac-12s had in recent memory, and and he's completely lived up to that billing and and really exceeded my expectations. He's been exceptional, really locked down kind of whoever they put him on. And so, in my opinion, he's the most impactful player in the conference on the defensive side of the ball right now. Uh, For a Utah team that's really actually kind of struggling defensively, he's kind of the lone bright spot, and so... Uh, for me, it's Clark Phillips with a bullet, but if I was going to give another nod, uh, it would be for Henley, Dion Henley from uh, Washington State who has been uber productive for them, has been a real playmaker, and I think is someone that is going to rise up draft boards as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, you stole Henley out of my out of my mouth because I, you know, and he is obviously the leader of what is statistically the best defense in this conference so far. So you got to lean on him. Uh, I'll throw a third name out there though from USC. Uh, you know, the lineman Tuli Um, You know, he leads the conference in sacks with seven. Um, he's kind of the the anchor of the USC defense, while while not, you know, a defense that hasn't been expected to be very good and and maybe maybe they are maybe they aren't but you know they do lead the conference in scoring uh you know points allowed per game so they're doing something right over there obviously a lot of turnovers and he's got seven sacks through six games so you know i'll give him
0: credit for that um for sure yeah absolutely i i I still would go to bat for clark phillips at this point but i think he's got a really strong resume i think henley's got a really strong resume um and and really, it's kind of hard to to think of anybody else that would be in the same realm at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, Thule's also got twelve and a half tackles for loss, which also leaves the conference. I think, a, a, you know, maybe a fourth person you could throw in the mix would be Leatu Latu from UCLA, the edge player. You know, seven seven tackles for last, six sacks. You know, kind of the the you know he's he's been a wrecking ball on the edge in the games I've watched, and he's been a really hard for people to block. So if UCLA continues to to go on their run, you know, beats Oregon, you know, beats USC and runs the table, he might
0: be someone that could be in that mix too, but I, I like the other three a little better overall. Yeah, so as we kind of broaden this sco- our our scope out here a little bit and start to look at overall units, um who are the, some some of the best offenses to this point in the season in your opinion, Doug?
1: Well, I mean, I think again there's a lot of good offenses in this conference um and I think to me, you know, Everyone's been talking about USC from the begin from even before the season started. And I think what's interesting is a lot of the national narratives and even a lot of the Pac-Twelve narratives are still, oh, USC's offense, USC's offense, USC's offense. But the the actual metrics and stats and, and scores and like, you know, everything you look at doesn't really bear that out. I mean, their offense, you know, started hot in the non conference against, you know, pretty bad competition. In conference play, they've they've been okay. I mean, they've certainly, you know, won the games that they've played fairly handily, but their offense has not been clicking and Caleb Williams has not been clicking. And we've talked about that a lot in our recap shows. So I think they're a solid third or fourth, even in the conference from an offensive you know, standpoint. I think when you look at most of the metrics, you know, they might be behind Utah in a lot of those rankings, um, but certainly behind UCLA and Oregon, which are, far and away the top two offenses in this conference, you know, by most of the statistical metrics, they're both top 10 offenses. And the thing that I think they both really excel at is being balanced. Uh, you know, Washington has a great passing attack, not a very good running attack. Um, Utah is balanced, but they're, they're balanced at a lower level of efficiency and explosiveness, particularly than UCLA and Oregon are, but UCLA and Oregon are, are top 10 offenses. And they both, you know, certainly lead with the run game, but also, you know, have plenty of passing um, prowess to throw in the mix as well. So it makes them both tougher to defend than a more one-dimensional offense. So those would be the two that I think are, you know, standing out right now.
0: Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I think if you just took a broad survey of Pac-12 fans and like asked what the strength of the USC offense is, I think most people would say Caleb Williams and the group of receivers, whether it's Jordan Addison or Brendan Rice or Mario Williams or Kyle Ford or the the, the whole line of players but like frankly the the run game has been kind of carrying that offense through the first 6 weeks of the season. Uh the the pass game has been explosive at times but the their splits between um effectiveness against against man coverage versus zone are such that I think that uh teams are starting to kind of figure out that Caleb Williams isn't the best when he has is forced to go through his full progression and play the entire field um and so I think that to me, despite the fact that he has a ton of talent and I think that USC has a lot of talent around him on on the offense, you're right. I think that both Oregon and UCLA are slightly better at this moment in time. I'd probably rate USC the third best offense and then I'd have Washington right behind them in the fourth spot. The only difference between Washington and the others is that all three of Oregon and the two LA schools are, are balanced attacks that can run the ball with great efficiency and explosiveness whereas Washington's explosive run game has basically been non-existent.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly right. Uh, What about on the defensive side of the ball? I I think I gave away the lead a little bit here earlier because I I think Washington State's the best defense in the conference right now, but who do you got? Do you agree with that, and then who do you have
0: after them? So, yeah, this is kind of a tallest midget situation because none of these defenses are performing exceptionally well in the metrics to this point. Um Washington State being the best at the moment so I think they'd have to be the top. I think Oregon's probably number 2. Um and really beyond that, I don't know who the third would be. Probably UCLA. Um USC has done a good job of of being opportunistic. I mean, every fumble that has hit the ground whether by USC or a team that they're playing, USC has recovered uh which obviously requires a certain luck element that isn't re- replicatable. Um, so I'm, I'm downgrading them for that, despite the fact that it has resulted in extra, extra possessions for the offense. I just don't think it's a skill um, as much as some of the things that Oregon and UCLA are doing on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I You know, Oregon's interesting. I mean, their run defense, I think, is the best run defense in the conference. I think that the numbers all bear that out. Um, you know, their, their pass defense has been, you know, not good at times uh they're not good at getting off the field on third and long, which we've talked about a lot but um you know it is improving so is it a question of you know obviously we talk about oregon a lot so i don't go too deep here right but but i'll be really interested to see where oregon's defense ranks in in the metrics and the rankings at the end of the season because i think if you looked at i think they're in the 40s now by a lot of the metrics right they're 45 46 kind of right around where ucla is at um the question is, or, you know, if you looked at that two games ago, they would have been in the 60s. So they're clearly improving. Uh, where do they end up is the question.
0: Yeah, I, I, Right now, it's Washington State. The, the more watered down in terms of like the overall sample set that that Georgia performance is, the better the defense will, perf- will look regardless of improving. And, and they are getting better. And so like, I think since this is a midseason award, we need to evaluate these teams based on what they've done to this point and not what we think they can do or what's left to improve on as they go forward. In in which case I think that, that USC or sorry UCLA and Oregon are kind of um in the same peer group below Washington State to this stage.
1: Yeah. And and it, I think Utah Bears mentioning I think they have some some they're certainly not as good as a defense as they were yesterday or I'm sorry last year and they have some deficiencies in certain areas, but I think overall they're still probably a notch above what Oregon and UCLA have done so far this year. Um, I'm just not sure I buy that they're going to hold on to that. We'll see as the season plays out. Yeah, I agree.
0: Anything else on the defensive side? No, I just like it's such a poor conference from a defensive standpoint right now. like. I was taking a, a jog through some of the defensive analytics today and it's like the Pac-12 is like five of the worst 10 Power 5 defenses in all of college football right now. Um like teams like Colorado, Arizona, Stanford, I mean these teams are just horrid. And so it's it's really hard to evaluate um and it could be a a little bit of a factor of playing against good offenses, but I also think it's just that they're not very good. So, um, not a lot of defenses to highlight in a positive manner. I think Ohio or, or Oregon State, I should say, has been plucky at times. Uh, but I their consistency is is not on par with the other teams we discussed.
1: Yeah, I'm glad I was about to mention Oregon State as well cuz I do think they've they've shown some some good signs on defense, especially for a team that was just absolutely at you know, Arizona and Colorado and Stanford levels of defense, you know, even two seasons ago. So, you know, they've, they've come a long way. And, and I think, yeah, they're in that, in that kind of, you know, second, third tier in the pac 12 right now as well. So, but yeah, it's just, there's not a lot like there's no, one's mistaking this for, you know, Georgia 2021 defensive play by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, I agree. So let's move on. I, I see here that we're going to be discussing surprise teams. And I wanted to ask you as kind of the moderator of this discussion, is this only in a positive light or um, in, in a negative light as well? Because I think I've been surprised in both directions by a couple of teams.
1: I think we, I mean, I did have listed surprise teams and disappointing teams, so we can just intermingle those and call them, the, you know, two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, you know, cause I kind of look at these both categories as, relative to expectations right like colorado's awful but i expected them to be awful so i'm not disappointed
0: um yeah i mean i think in macro we kind of nailed the conference preseason the only surprises to me at this point are ucla is slightly better than i expected um i think preseason i picked them to lose to all three of utah oregon and usc uh and, and they already beat utah and so i think in some sense I'm a little surprised by the lack of improvement by the Utah offense, but on the flip side of the same coin is it really that surprising when they haven't added any type of explosive playmakers on the outside in basically like 4 or 5 years?
1: Yeah, I you're right. I I think we we both had U, UCLA as 9 and 9 and 3 overall, 6 and 3 in the conference. So, um you know we'll see i mean they could still finish right at that mark or maybe a 10 or or maybe 11 so um i but i think overall going 6 and 0 so far you'd have to put them in the surprise category for sure i would agree with that one
0: like so i predicted colorado to go in 12 and they have surprised me still by how bad they are um like there was it was brought up i can't remember who brought it up i don't want to take credit for what they said but like they're they're basically chasing the worst fbs teams of all time in the analytics right now like they are genuinely like probably one of the worst football teams of the last twenty years. Um and so they are Yeah, I their, think they're yeah, go ahead. They're a special brand of bad. Yeah, I uh, think
1: they're coming after uh Washington's O and twelve season, you know, so they they want to match that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Washington's gonna have a buddy with the O and twelve thing um in the very new future. Uh another team yeah, another go ahead. Oh no go you go first. Yeah,
1: I think another team that's surprising in, not in in what's happening to them, but maybe in how quickly it happened to them, is Arizona State. Uh, you know, when we did our preview show, we both said there will be a point in the season, maybe midway through, where, you know, things fall apart, they fall off a cliff, and they all quit, and, and the season goes south. But I think we both were expecting that to be at, like right around now, or maybe even a game or two from now, right? And and the rails would fall off. But that maybe in the first half of the season, they would they would play a better brand of football and and be, you know, a, a mid level team in this conference. They certainly were not that. I mean, despite their their plucky up, upset win against Washington this past week, they the wheels fell off in like week two, <laughs> week three, and that was certainly much much earlier than we were expecting. So that was a bit of a surprise.
0: Yeah, I kind of figured they were a team that was going to kind of fight their way to bull eligibility and they would fire Herm late and they started off two and four. So definitely, I think that's a surprising thing. I think on the macro, there hasn't been a whole lot that's surprised. I think maybe in some individual game situations, things have been somewhat surprising. Um, I've been surprised by the quality of the Washington State defense. And I've also been surprised by kind of how average Cameron Ward has been at the quarterback position for Washington State. I think if he were closer to the billing that was advertised in the off season coming into the year, uh, Washington State might have a better record than they do right now. So um, I, I think overall, we, you kind of nailed it. The Arizona State team, uh, Colorado being even worse than we anticipated and UCLA being a little bit better are probably the three biggest surprises uh, otherwise, I think everybody else is kind of sitting about where you'd expect it at this point in the season
1: yeah and i want to give i want to give some kudos to both yourself and myself um because everyone was riding the Utah to the playoff express preseason, and we came out hard and heavy and frequently around this Utah team is going to drop off from last year they've lost. They're two inside linebackers, which were key. They've lost some defensive linemen, which were key. They're going to take a step back. They're going to take a step back on offense without, uh, you know, without the outside receiver threat and Brendan, you know, or, or Britton Covey. Covey. Yep. Uh, and on the return, and, and everything we predicted about Utah looks
0: like we nailed it. Yeah, and their offensive line for like the fifth year in a row that's getting all this credit has not been very good to that po- this point. this point in the season um Tavian Thomas has been largely ineffective relative to what he was last year and I think a large part of that is with Covey and Keithy those guys were absolute demons between the hashes last year and Cam Cam Rising was super efficient on those throws and was able to dink and duck up and down the field and they were able to create some explosives after the catch with with those guys with Keithy out for the season which is not something that could have been predicted and Covey off to the uh, nursing home after playing at Utah for 60 years. Like it's they're just lacking any type of explosive threat and and because of that they're just a lot more mortal than they had they were even a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um any more topics about like
1: kind of mid-season review, mid-season awards or you want to move into our picks for the week?
0: No, I think we are, we're shipping up for a really interesting run done the last 6 weeks. I think the the round robin of the Utah, USC, Oregon, uh, UCLA is, is shaping up and we get kind of the second, uh, the second round of that this weekend with Utah kind of with their backs up against the wall uh, against USC uh, leading into the Oregon-UCLA game to follow and then obviously Oregon-Utah and USC-UCLA um, to, to finish the season. So a lot, a lot of big games coming up. There's going to be a lot of intrigue and a lot of things to cover um, as we move forward down the rest of the season.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up um, because I I did put together some scenario modeling as I want to do uh, around those kind of top four teams and, and those matchups you talked about um, that are coming down the pipe. Um, and, and honestly, and we'll talk about the game here in a little bit, but that this Utah USC game is a must win for Utah. If they lose this game, they are effectively eliminated from making it to Las Vegas. They would need one of the L.A. schools to lose three conference games. Uh, And I just don't see, with the schedules that both USC and UCLA have, I don't see any scenario where either one of them comes close to three conference losses. Which means, if Utah loses this weekend, they're out. They're eliminated. They can't make the, the, the Vegas and my... Unless chaos ensues, right? Um, so it's a must-win game for them. Um, the Oregon UCLA game is not quite as a must-win team for either of those programs since they're, you know, they're both undefeated in conference play so far. But I will say the winner of that game has a significant leg up uh, at down the stretch run, um, and and really would have to almost has a mulligan, right? If if Oregon beats UCLA, Oregon has a mulligan against Utah. If Oregon, you know, if UCLA beats Oregon, UCLA has a mulligan against USC later in the year. So it's a hugely important game. We're going to preview that next week, obviously. But, you know, those two games will will really solidify and crystallize what the stretch run is going to look like. So we'll be talking about that more in future episodes.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I'm glad you've been doing that modeling. I still refuse to root for USC this weekend, but we'll, we, don't we'll do- we don't have to. We'll get to that as we get into our picks here
1: all right let's do it let's start with the national games and then we'll move to the pac-12 so i picked uh six national games for us this week these are all games uh with at least one ranked team most of them have two and this is by far the best single week of of games you know on the slate at least as far as when you look at it before the weekend right obviously we've had some good weeks of Crazy upsets and unexpected results after the fact, but just from a like ranked on ranked, this is the best week of football we've we've had yet. So let's start in in Ann Arbor with the uh, the number ten ranked undefeated Penn State Nittany Lions visiting number five undefeated Michigan. Michigan is a seven point favorite in this one. Who do you like?
0: Uh, I like Michigan at home. The the Penn State offense to me is been kind of all over the place i I really don't trust sean clifford in situations where he has to throw the ball there was a statistic i saw this week on twitter where in games where he had to throw the ball more than 27 times they're like they're one in a lot um and so in in a hostile environment on the road in the big house I, i think that michigan's a touchdown better um so I'll, I'll take the Wolverines on this one especially with with JJ McCarthy improving and an explosive element in the passing game being added for one of these teams that the other doesn't have.
1: Yeah, I'm going to join you in that one. You know, Penn State is is undefeated. They they've already had their bye. They're 5 and 0, oh, but I you know, they haven't I mean, they've played Purdue, Ohio, not Ohio State, Ohio, uh Auburn, Central Michigan and Northwestern. So I mean, they have yet to play even a good football team. Well, Uh, I think
0: think Purdue categorizes as good. Okay.
1: Okay. And they only won that game by four.
0: Yeah. But it's week one. So, like, it's – and we don't want to use the transitive property. I think the the, the biggest matchup – and I'm not trying to poo-poo your analysis on this. I don't necessarily disagree with with where you're going with it. Is that Penn State, for years now, has struggled to run the ball. And they bring in Nicholas Singleton – uh, the five-star true freshman running back, and he's been really explosive for them. And to this point this season, they've been able to run the ball pretty, more effectively than they're used to on all these teams. And I just don't know that any of those teams are even close to the quality of the of the Michigan front seven. Um, and while I have a ton of respect for, for what Penn State is doing defensively, I think that Michigan is going to bring a level of physicality on the offensive side that... Penn State hasn't seen yet either. So um, I, that, that's why I'm on the Michigan side of this. But I, I also can understand thinking that Michigan wins this game, but Penn State does cover and maybe a closer low-scoring game.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think they do. And I think Penn State, they're about to enter a brutal stretch of their schedule. You know, after this Michigan game, they got Minnesota, then Ohio State. So three weeks in a row, um, you know, they could easily find themselves, you know, <laughs> losing three games in a row, being tumbling out of the top 25, uh, you know, pretty quickly here. And, and, you know, they were a seven and five team last year. I'm not sure I'm buying Penn state is, is a top 15 team. And uh, I think we're going to find out this week that they're probably not.
0: Excellent. So moving on to the, uh, the one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football that has not been a rivalry since before the iPhone was around, um, Largely thanks to St. Nicholas Saban. Alabama going on the road to play Tennessee. Uh, Alabama currently sits as a seven-point favorite in that game. Uh, what do you think, Doug, about, about the uh, the third Saturday in October? Is Bryce Young playing?
1: Or is Bryce Young not playing?
0: Uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question.
1: Yeah, but that's the question that that is kind of critical to this one and you know in a lot of ways like i i think alabama's a better team uh tennessee definitely has a great offense i think their defense is 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 lacking um but you know could they outscore bama in a situation where you know uh Bryce Young's not playing and i think that's that's the question that we need to wrestle with to determine you know this game uh and and like you said you know, Alabama has won four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Like sixteen straight games in this rivalry. The, the last time Tennessee won was in two thousand six. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's crazy. Uh in a, in an out in a in a a conference rivalry dating back to 1901. I mean, we thought, you know, Oregon dominated Washington for those 12 straight years, and they certainly did, but, I, you know, 16 years running, and I think it's going to be year 17. I think Alabama gets this victory. Um, it's a seven-point spread. I'm going to say Young plays, so I'm going to take Alabama uh, to cover.
0: I'm taking Tennessee in the points here. Um, this is mostly a hedge. I don't think that Bryce Young is going to play. Uh, I kind of cheated. I, I talked to my best friend who's a physical therapist. We talked about AC joint sprains and kind of how they heal and what the timelines look like depending on the grade. I I don't think they're going to put him out there. I think it would be – they even if Alabama loses this game, they could still make the playoff and, and win a national championship, and I don't think it's ri- worth risking the rest of the season for one game. Um, and I think that they're good enough to still win this game without – without young. Um I think the pass rush is unbelievably elite. Uh but I I am going to take Tennessee to cover the spread. Uh and I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee won. They just they have a lot of mojo right now. If Bryce Young's not playing, uh Jalen Milbro has not been able to throw the ball like at all. Um and so maybe then they make a change and go to to Simpson, the true freshman five-star quarterback from last class, more of a pocket passer to to open up the offense and be more balanced. Um, I think Alabama finds a way to win this game on the road, but I don't think they win by more than seven.
1: Okay, so here's the scenario. Tennessee beats Alabama. Um, Georgia beats Tennessee. Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game. Does the SEC get three teams in the playoffs? No. Is, <laughs> is the committee going to salivate over that one? um Yeah. just kidding that's all that's a lot of football left but no i mean i definitely can see the scenario where tennessee wins this game i i definitely this is the best tennessee team that there's been in a very maybe most of that 16 years so yeah they're, they're certainly out there for that they're,
0: they're also like 0 and 39 against top 10 teams in their last 40 matchups or almost 40 yeah. matchups
1: yeah that's a crazy stat
0: <laughs> um so something to keep in mind but like I, again, I, if this was a divisional matchup, I think there'd be more of a push to get Bryce Young in the game. But since Tennessee's in the East, I don't think it. Like again, a loss here does not derail Alabama's season in the same way that it would if this was like Auburn or a team in the West. So I think yeah. they'll be a little bit more conservative in terms of deciding to rest Young and and get him get him through a bye week before they bring him back.
1: All right, let's flip over to our next game uh, in the Big Twelve. This is uh, Oklahoma State, you know, top ten ranked, undefeated Oklahoma State, traveling to TCU to play the Horn Frogs, who and their high flying offense. TCU is actually a four point favorite in home, in this one, so essentially a pickup game on a neutral field. Um, who do you
0: is it my turn? No, it's your turn. Who do you like in this one, QB? Uh, give me TCU minus the four. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's extremely fortunate to be undefeated at this point. I think they're. By far the most overrated team in the top ten, both the metrics agree um, and the eye test. Like they really didn't outplay Baylor in a game that they won because of turnovers. Uh, again, and these weren't forced turnovers; these were more of the luck variety. I, I just think that TCU is offense is the best thing in this game. I think that the Oklahoma State defense has looked solid under Derek Mason, but there's there's a there's a gear missing from the Oklahoma State defense that existed a year ago. Uh, and I th- and I think that TCU uh, might actually have the better defensive unit in this game.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that one. I'm taking TCU as well. I think Oklahoma State is—I don't want to call them a fraud, but I, I definitely think they're not a top ten team. And they, as you said, are fortunate to to be in that position right now. They're still going to factor into this absolutely awesome big 12 uh, you know chase that's going to you know ensue for the next seven weeks that I can't wait to watch but I think TCU is going to be too much for them in this game and I like TCU to win and cover as well
0: I don't I, I think Oklahoma State's a good football team but ranked where they're ranked I think relative to that ranking they have fraudulent characteristics
1: yes that's a better way of saying it thank you
0: perfect so as we move on here we have NC State going on the road to Syracuse. Syracuse is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home in the Carrier Dome, or what do they call it now? The JMH Wireless Dome, I think, is what they've renamed it to um, with the new branding. But crazy. um, Coming into the season, if you would have told me that Syracuse is favored over NC State, I would have called BS. So what what are your takes on this game? When is the last time Syracuse football was relevant? Probably wouldn't. Eric Dungey was there and they beat Clemson and kinda of had their fifteen minutes a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean they're five and oh, which is crazy. The Syracuse Orangemen are five and oh. Um, including a, a dominating win over Louisville in week one. Uh they also beat Purdue, which we talked about earlier, and then uh Virginia a couple weeks back and and then the mighty Wagner. I don't know where oh Wagner's I don't know where Wagner's from. I don't know who they are, but they lost fifty nine to zero to Syracuse. So um this is crazy. I mean, this is a team that nobody is really talking about, but they're undefeated. Um and NC State's just an interesting team to me. Like I can't figure them out. When I think they should be really good, they don't look good, and then when I kind of write them off and all of a sudden they do something again. And uh, so I this is an and I I'll be honest, like I I haven't watched a lot of Syracuse football. Like shame on me, I guess, but Man, I don't know, man. I guess I got to make a pick here, don't I? You know, I, I, looking at NC State, they had that nice win last week over Florida State. What was a really close game? They played Clemson close. I think I'm going to take the Wolfpack in this one,
0: and I'll lay the points. And uh hopefully, I'll be right. There's a good chance I'm going to regret this, but I'm going to take Syracuse. I don't know what the status is of Devin Leary, NC State's quarterback. They looked utterly incompetent offensively without him last week. Um and I think that like just schematically under Doran, they look kind of incompetent offensively regardless. Uh and Syracuse has been really fun offensively on the flip side of that. And their quarterback has played very well for the most part. Um they want a really I th- I think they want a pretty good game against Purdue. I don't I think Purdue's a good football team. I mean, their two yeah. losses are by like a combined seven points to Uh, to two teams that are ranked in the top 25 in Syracuse and Penn State. Um, And and Aiden O'Connell is a a good quarterback for Purdue. So I I have some faith in the Syracuse offense that I don't really have in the NC State offense. Um, And I think the NC State offense is such that despite not having elite defense, Syracuse will be able to find some stops. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Syracuse to cover the three and a half and win by a touchdown. Uh, This is probably my least confident pick on the week, but... uh, I'm willing to roll with the, with the, the orange or whatever, or the, the orange, what are they?
1: Yeah. The, the orange or the orange? Are they just the orange now? They used to be the orange men. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. What the color orange. Yeah. 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 I, this one is like, I picked this game cause it's a top 25 matchup and you know, but it's, a, it's certainly, I, I, I'd say my power five football following is certainly the worst in 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 the ACC. Uh, I just don't watch a lot of those games for a lot of reasons, but um, yeah, I could be totally wrong on this one. And and, yeah, to correct you, Syracuse is the favorite. So I'm getting the three and a half in this one. So Uh, let's move on Uh, back to the SEC cross divisional matchup here, Mississippi state on the road, four point favorite visiting Kentucky. I believe you're up first.
0: Yeah. This is going to be a quick one. Give me Mississippi state. They're going to cover the four points. I think they'll win by multiple scores. Kentucky, I don't think they're guaranteed to get Will Levis back this week. Um, and even with Will Levis, they're kind of an affront to offensive football. Um, and so without them, as we saw last week against South Carolina, like they were completely incapable of manufacturing anything. So uh, give me Mississippi State. I think this is a very good football team. I think the some of the power-ranking systems are maybe overrating Mississippi State a little bit, but not nearly as bad as Kentucky being ranked a top-10 team two weeks ago. So uh, give, give me the Bulldogs on the road to win uh, and cover against Kentucky.
1: So would you say they are? It's distasteful
0: towards the sport of football. Uh, yeah, I would say, wow, hearing your own voice is rough. Um, but yeah, I would say that they are. Pretty tough to watch with a backup quarterback specifically, and they've actually had some some injury issues at receiver as well. So it's not all like scheme related, um, but some of it's talent and depth, and and kind of as you'd expect, Kentucky doesn't have quite the the roster that some of the other teams in the conference do.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm with you on this one. I think you know if Will Levis doesn't play, yeah, this this is game over. Even if he does, maybe he's limited. Some of the other injuries you've mentioned. Um, you know, I, I think they, uh, they did not look particularly good against Ole Miss last, last week and, or sorry, a couple weeks ago. And then of course they lost pretty handily to South Carolina, which I don't think is a very good football team. So I like, um, I like Mississippi state and Mike Leach and their offense to, to win this one and, uh, cover the spread as well.
0: Perfect. Last game, last national game of the week is uh, Clemson, a top five team going on the road to play a Florida State team that's coming off a few losses in a row now to Wake and NC State. Uh, Clemson is only a three and a half point favorite on the road against Florida State. I'm not really sure how to feel about this. I think I, I, I could actually, no, it's your turn to go first. It let me think to go about first and, and I'm
1: taking Clemson. I don't, I feel like this line should be higher as well. I, don't quite get it i don't think clemson is like the Clemson that they were you know four years ago they're 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 not blowing teams out but they're still you know, they're a top five football team their defense is good i yeah i just think clemson wins this one pretty handily
0: yeah give me clemson too i i thought about taking florida state they're just they've been so banged up and they've been missing so many guys and Without Jared Verse at 100%, the, the pass rush just isn't what it was early in the season, uh, missing some other guys on the de- defensive side of the ball. I think Clemson's defense is the best thing like anywhere in the ACC, um, and because of that alone, especially with how Florida State's offense struggled in the se- second half against NC State without an offense, um, just give, give me Clemson in the three and a half. I think that's a, that's a good take.
1: All right, let's segue over to our Pac-12 games this week. And and as usual, we have three double-digit spreads uh, to start out with in this conference. It, it shows you the 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 quality at the top of the conference as well as the, the lack of quality at the bottom. And then what's crazy is that actually all three of these spreads um, don't feature any of the teams from the top of the conference either. So it's a bit wacky. It starts in Colorado, where the Buffaloes host the visiting Cal Bears. Cal, as a visitor, is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I know what we've said all year long about Colorado and lines. Are you going to stick to your guns once more, QB?
0: Yeah, this is a disrespectfully low line to the California offense. Like, Cal scored how much against Arizona a couple weeks ago? Like 48? Yeah, 48 or 49. Like, they're... Colorado is not good enough offensively to score three touchdowns and Cal is definitely going to score at least five, um, which I guess wouldn't be a cover if that was the, you get the point. Cal give me Cal um, and the 14 and a half points. I I think this is way too low. I think Cal is going to probably win by 20 plus. Yep. Cal and the points enough said. Yep. So moving on to more of an intriguing matchup, this line Has fluctuated quite a bit, moved up all the way to 17. Now it's back down to 14. Um, Arizona coming off a loss to Oregon. On the road playing a Washington team that has lost the last two, I guess their first two conference games, both on the road to UCLA and then most recently to Arizona State this last weekend. Uh, Washington a 14, a two-touchdown favorite at home. Uh, What are your thoughts, Doug?
1: Um Hammer the over probably. Although I think I heard the over is the highest over in the country this week, and it's in the seventies. So I don't know. That might be might not be hammer the overtime. But there's gonna be a lot of points scored in this game because these are two defenses that are not good. Uh, Washington gave up forty five points to an Arizona State team that had basically quit on their season before last week and was playing a five foot two walk on quarterback. Um, Arizona. Can certainly score through the air. Uh, Washington seems to be particularly bad at defending the pass. Arizona can't defend much of anything. Washington can sling it around. I see a lot of passing yards in this game. Uh, and I see a lot of points in this game. I don't think Washington's going to win by two touchdowns, though. Like, that just that's, when that spread first came out, that jumped off the page at me. Like, watching what we've seen the last two weeks from Washington's defense and knowing you know the explosiveness that Arizona has in their passing game i was blown away that the spread was so high so i'm going to take arizona and the points i don't think they win but i do think they keep it within 14
0: yeah i've been conflicted when this was at 17 it was much easier to take arizona than it is now at 14 um I'll, i'm going to take arizona mostly because I think that this is a game that Jed Fish is going to look at as an opportunity to go steal a win on the road. And so I think that they're going to kind of, I I think that they're going to empty the bag a little bit in this game from a play-calling standpoint offensively. Jaden Delora uh, typically doesn't have two horrible games in a row. He, He really struggled against Oregon last week, some of which was because of things Oregon was doing, others because Delora just was kind of struggling on the day. I think that the Arizona passing game is such that, I mean, Washington is 114th in an effective pass defense in the country right now out of 131. So they they've got uh, some some ways to go there. I think that they'll get Austin Turner back after a targeting call. I don't know uh, what the status on either Mish Powell or uh, Jordan Perryman are. But I'm, I'm going to take Arizona to cover. I think there's a pretty good chance this ends up pushing, though. Washington is a more consistent and, and better offense. And I think that the Arizona front is so bad that Washington actually could find a running game in this game. So uh, give me Arizona to cover, but I would not be at all surprised if Washington either pushes or or uh, wins this one against us both.
1: All right, let's move on. This is an out-of-conference matchup. The, the Stanford Cardinal with their annual matchup against the Irish... They travel to South Bend to take on Notre Dame, uh, who is a 17 point favorite at home against Stanford. Um, uh, you know, what do you like in this one? Uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> no hesitation.
0: Yeah, no, just give me Notre Dame. The the Notre Dame defense is actually very good. I I know that the everyone wrote them off after starting 0-2 um in the way that they lost to both Marshall and, and Ohio State, but they held down Ohio State's offense as much as anybody has this year. And, and defensively, I, I just overall think that they're very quality. And, and the Stanford offense has really struggled against anybody with with good athleticism and talent, and Notre Dame is one of those teams. Offensively, Notre Dame is starting to find themselves a little bit, but this for an improving offensive line that's kind of trying to find a rhythm in Notre Dame, there, there aren't very many fronts in college football better than Stanford to go against to really find your rhythm. So um, give me Notre Dame and the 17 points uh i'd be very surprised if stanford is in this game past the third quarter
1: yeah i'm i'm with you i think notre dame kind of runs away and runs runs and hides in this game and and goes out in front you know my only worry here is something we've seen stanford do <laughs> successfully a couple of times this year is get a couple of late scores to make a game look look a little closer and and either get a backdoor cover or come close to getting a backdoor cover uh, on a spread this large, but I, I think Notre Dame's defense is probably one where that they're not going to allow that to happen as easily as like Oregon and Washington did, let's say. So I'm going to take Notre Dame uh, and I'll lay the 17 and and they'll run away with this one as well.
0: Perfect. Moving on. We have probably the pac 12 game of the week, possibly the season to this point. You have USC going on the road to play Utah and rice Eccles stadium. Utah is a three and a half point favorite, despite having two losses at home. Doug, what are your thoughts on the USC Utah game?
1: Man, this matchup, I just keep going back and forth on this one. I can't wait to watch this game. Uh this I will be glued to my TV for this one either until it's over or out of hand, I guess. But um you know, I I one day I think I like USC, the next day I think I like Utah. It's you know, you look at some of the some of the like matchup models that people put out every week. And I think I saw one of those that was like 50.2% to 49.8%. Like it's a really close matchup on paper uh, statistically between these two teams. Um, I liked USC early to go in and get the win at Utah, but I've turned a corner. I think Utah wins this game. Now, do they win the game by more than a field goal is a different question. Um, I do think the game is going to be competitive. I do think the game is going to be close. I could see Utah winning but not covering the three and a half. So I don't know. I, I mean, they've got, the, they've got the tribute uniforms for their, their two number 22s. They've got you know a crowd that is going to be into this game, a night atmosphere. They know their backs are against the wall in the Pac-12 race. I think Utah wins, and I think they cover this game. And I think USC's woes, if you will, that have kind of been plaguing them for the last three weeks and their their inconsistent offensive play, I think are going to finally catch up to them. And Utah's going to win and cover this game.
0: Yeah, I, like you, I've struggled with this game. There's there's two two ways I can see this going in terms of like game state. I can see in a lot of like the, the moment seems to favor Utah in every conceivable way, like. Rice Eccles is going to be absolutely popping. Um, the the tribute they're doing to some fallen former players, um, I, I think that, like you said, situationally, it sets up in a do-or-die back-against-the-wall situation where Utah is going to be throwing the kitchen sink at USC. But there's also this the the aspect of USC has not played to their potential offensively, specifically in the passing game the last few weeks. And this could be a situation where They also throw the kitchen sink at Utah and try to get right offensively. Um, I don't trust this USC defense very much. Uh, And I think that their statistics are being overinflated by the turnovers. um, And I don't think that they've played very many good offenses. And watching the Utah offense kind of counterpunch against UCLA a week ago in the Rose Bowl, I think this team has a lot of mental toughness. I don't think that they're going to th- mail it in after what happened last week. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to take Utah with you. Um although I would not be surprised uh if USC is to pull this one out. I think this is a really competitive matchup, but I think that the moment and I think Cam Rising is going to have a good game. I just don't know where the explosiveness is going to come from for Utah offensively. I like this is kind of a uh I- I'm I'm buying more into the moment and the circumstance that I am the team here, which is not traditionally how I pick games. I typically stick to the analytics, and I think that the analytics favor USC in a lot of ways here. So I'm going to take Utah. Hopefully I don't get bit in the butt for this, but um, I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, and I I will add this. Certainly if USC all of a sudden figures out their offensive, you know, issues and that clicks then yeah absolutely they could win this game and and maybe even win it you know by multiple possessions but i also look at the game you know and, and you talked about you not trusting usc's defense and i think there's some fool's gold there this is by far the best offense they will have played this year i mean they've got rice stanford fresno oregon state arizona state washington state none of those teams are particularly good on offense um and I think this Utah team, you know, although they're not as good as last year, they are they are a solid, you know, a higher, better than average offense. They're, you know, by some metrics, they're in the top fifteen. So um, they can run, they can pass. They they're not explosive, but they also don't beat themselves right. Like we saw Washington State and Oregon State do against U C U at USC, right? Like just beat themselves with with some turnovers and obviously credit USC for making those turnovers happen too but I don't think Utah is a team that's going to beat themselves on offense and I think they're going to force USC to step up and actually get stops and I'll be interested to see if they can do that
0: Yeah and, and here's the deal the Utah coaching staff is a good coaching staff and they're smart guys they're going to look at what Oregon State and some others have done defensively against the Trojans to slow down their passing game and they're gonna and they're gonna replicate a lot of that. And the other thing here is as as good as Travis Dye has been for USC this year, he's never been a guy that gets a lot of yards after contact. I think that Utah is gonna be disciplined in their run fits and they're gonna have guys in a situation to make a play on die. Um and I think that more times than not, those players will come through with tackles in situations where Zach Charbonnet physically was imposing enough to make guys miss and, and continue on to the second level and create yards after contact. And so I'm I'm gonna roll with Utah here I, again. I think the moment is a big piece of this. I think like, what what's the best road environment USC's played at this year? Uh, I the Farm. Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah. So a half a half Research Stadium or the Farm are kind of like the two options. Neither particularly intimidating, and frankly, they looked completely out of sorts at the uh, against Oregon State and a half Research. So. Rice Eccles is going to be a massive step up from anything that they've seen. Probably combine the away environments and they wouldn't compare. So give me Utah here. I feel good about it. Um, Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, Yeah. one
1: more game to pick. It'll be your pick first, but I'll, you know, another game I think is really interesting. Washington State traveling to Reeser take on the Beavers of Oregon State who are a three and a half point home favorite in this one. This is a game that, really could factor into bowl eligibility for particularly for the beavers but you know even maybe for washington state down the stretch and certainly in the pecking order of those bowls so it's a really interesting matchup between two teams that are pretty good on defense pretty limited on offense
0: um and oregon state's a three and a half point favorite who do you like i like washington state like the best part about the oregon state offense is their ability to run the ball i don't think that they're going to be able to do that with any level of consistency against a Washington State defense that just throws waves at you and is really fast sideline to sideline. They're going to have to find some kind of vertical passing game in this if they're going to be able to op- to stretch stretch Washington State out vertically and, and create some offense. And whether it's Chance Nolan, the the interception slot machine, or Ben Gulvanson, who was a little better, I think maybe ish. Uh, I I just don't trust anything about this quarterback room for Oregon State offensively, and Cam Ward is extremely inconsistent. But I, I just think that they're going to be able to find some things offensively against this Oregon State defense that I don't think Oregon State is going to be able to find against Washington State. So, give me the Cougars here. I think they they find a way to win on the road. Uh, but I mean, since there's a, they don't even have to win to cover the three and a half points. So. Uh, yeah, just give me the Cougars here in this situation. I don't, I don't see this game being a touchdown win for Oregon State.
1: Yeah, I do think this is probably a somewhat lower scoring game overall uh, for Pac-12 standards. Um, and Gil, Gil Branson didn't throw any interceptions last week, but he did get sacked four times by Stanford's defense. And Washington State is a team that creates a ton of sacks and a ton of tackles for loss. I think they're fourth in the country in tackles for loss. So. I I really don't like the matchup for the Beavers, even though they're at home. I think I think Washington State's going to come in and win this game outright. So I'm with you on that one.
0: Yeah, I mean all the things that Stanford doesn't do well in the front seven, like run, they're really slow. They don't tackle well, um, and they have zero depth. And Washington State has a lot of depth. They all can run and they can all tackle. And I at times last week the Stanford run defense was able to like stuff some stuff and. Look competent, and I don't think that that reflects particularly well on this Oregon State offensive line, which should be one of the better ones in the conference. So, uh g- give me, give me Washington State. I just, I think Washington State's a pretty good football team, and they've had a tough stretch of games here against some pretty good teams, and this is their opportunity to get right. Well,
1: QB, we we
0: said at the top we thought this would be
1: a thirty-minute episode, and we're an hour in. So uh, there we go. I guess we can talk. Yeah.
0: we uh we definitely went over the 30 minute mark but i think that it was a really interesting slate of games this week especially nationally i think probably the best slate like you said that we've had this year so glad that we can go in a little bit more in depth on some of those games and um hopefully we do as well against the spread as we've been doing the last couple weeks
1: yeah just a couple of scheduling notes for the show again um you can follow us on twitter where we always announce our new episodes so that's uh you know at QB11 show, but we'll this will be out Friday. Sunday, we will be releasing our you know kind of weekly recap episode as we do every week update our Pac 12 power rankings, and then we will re record and get out the mid season Pac 12 review with, with QB and Hiffle We will re record and get that out sometime over the next few days as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of content coming your way, and then we get back into the regular cadence for the stretch run. So. Thank you all for listening. Again, leave us reviews on Apple or Spotify. We appreciate all the five-star reviews we've been getting and all the support we get from all of you, and um, just really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, guys. Again, really appreciate all the support. Looking forward to getting a little bit better audio quality version of the recording with Hifliday out to you guys. Um, And as always, Doug, it's been a pleasure. Really looking forward to watching some ball this weekend.